Hello, everyone. It is always such a privilege for me to do the, my first preach of the year. So this is my first one in the pulpit for January. Happy New Year. If I haven't seen you, as Batesy has been alluding to, turn with me while we're talking to Matthew, the book of Matthew, if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, Matt has been alluding to a new series. I'm going to be as quick as I can this morning. I've got to set the platform for a new series as well as um, I want to really preach my heart out around something that I'm passionate about. Um, but the series is called One Hope, What on Earth Are We Here For? Maybe you ask yourself this question, what on earth has God put us here for? Why do we exist as a church? Why do you exist as an individual? What is your purpose? Are you just sucking oxygen? Are you doing something with your life? What is our purpose? What is it? I told myself I'm not going to be contentious today. So what difference does it make that we are in Stellenbosch? If one hope ceased to exist, would Stellies know? If, etc., etc. These kind of questions. What has God called all the churches to? And then what has God called us to specifically? We want to be fiercely practical in this series. That's one of the things we'll commit to. So throughout the series, we're going to speak very, very practically about what it means to be part of One Hope, what it means to follow God. We want to go week by week very clearly into that. And then we want to show you clearly week by week why these are God ideas, not just good ideas. The Bible is our book. We don't draw on other resources for how we ought to live our lives. We look at the Bible and we say, this is why we do what we do. This is why we live our lives like we live our lives. It's the Word of God which informs us. It's the Bible that is our book. So for those of you who love a, an overview, let me give you a quick overview of where we're going for the next eight weeks. Today we're going to speak about our new vision statement, our new mission statement. I always get the two confused. Our new mission statement. Mission is what? What is it that God has called us to do? Now we believe that God's word clearly lays that out. Every church should pretty much have the same mission in different language. We should all be doing the same thing. That's why we're so passionate about unity in this church. That's why we bless and we love Shofar and every nation and the Baptists and the Presbys and everyone that's gospel-centered in this town. We are saying, God, we need more churches like this in Stellenbosch. Please send more church planters. I never want to hear us saying, oh no, not another church. We have 35,000 students in this town beside the families. We need more churches in this town. Gospel-centered, Jesus-loving churches in this town. That's what we need, right? And so we inherited from New Gen. Many of you know our, our history. We were part of a church called New Gen. This was our mission, knowing God and making Him known. Last year, we began a process with our leaders of just re-envisioning and rethinking through mission and vision, and we changed some of the language. And I've got a, um, a bangle, which you're going to get later on. I've got a red one. You can choose a color. Um, and it says on here what our new mission is, but you're not going to know until the end. So you can try if you're getting... Uh, a little bit hot and warm, you can try and read what it says over there, but good, good luck with that. That's, that's to be revealed later on. And then next week, so that's our mission this week. Next week, there's seven with the same core group of leaders, about 20, 25 people. We spoke through, how do we achieve that mission? If this is what God's called us to, what are the vision components? That's the what. So if the vision is the, is the, if the vi mission is the what, the vision is the how. How do we do that? And there's seven things that we believe God has called us to as one hope that are our gauge or our measure. If we do those seven things, we're saying, God, we believe that we are fulfilling our mission as a church in Stellenbosch. Some of those are not unique to us at all. 
Every church should be doing them. And then a few of them, by emphasis, are more important to us than what might be in other congregations, and they might emphasize other things. Does that make sense? So that's what we're doing next week. And then week three to eight, we'll spend a week on each of those topics, talking through those seven vision points. And we'll talk through just in detail why and very practically how we do that. So here's a little, here's a little spoiler. The first one is proclaiming the gospel. Every church should be doing that. That should be our number one vision statement. As a church, if we are not proclaiming the gospel, we cannot say that we are fulfilling the mission of God. But that's not where we want to stop. I don't want to do a theological dissertation on what it means to proclaim the gospel. I want to ask one hope. How are we? How do we feel that God has called us to proclaim the gospel in Stelly's in 2022 and on? Does that make sense? That's our practical um, we want to go. So if, that's, if you love having structure, there you go. That's the, that's the structure for you. And at the end of the series, you should really have clarity around whether One Hope is the church that God has called you to. Once we go through these distinctives and we're saying these are the seven things, you should be sitting there and going, that resonates in my heart. I can get behind that. I want to be a part of this. And if you can't do that at the end of our series, that's okay. But One Hope might not be the place for you. All right? So it's that clear, that practical, that at the end of this time, you should have clarity. All right, I want to preach this morning from the book of Matthew. The title of my message, speaking about the mission of God, is Sent Man, Dead Man, Resurrected Man, Sent Men, and Woman. Just sounded better in my title to just have the, have the one, Sent Men, all right? Returning to Matthew, for those of you who don't know the Bible, maybe you're new to church, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're exploring the claims of Jesus. I'm so glad you're starting to read your Bible, but I'm sure it's pretty confusing. It's really difficult. We all remember what it's like when we came to first know Jesus. So a little bit of new information. Matthew, who wrote this book, is one of Jesus' 12 disciples. That's just a Christian word for people that Jesus chose to walk very closely with him while he ministered. There's 12 of them, and some of them wrote books of the Bible. Matthew, I particularly love this book because Matthew was the rebel. He was the tax collector that Jesus called. Now, for us, we might not like SARS, but tax collector doesn't carry the same implications that it did in the, Old, in the New Testament. These guys are often bundled in together. When you read it, it'll often say tax collectors and sinners. This is the, this is the bad crowd, the tax collectors. They went against their own people, the Jews, and worked for the Romans, and collect, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to go into detail, but that's who Matthew is. And it's just a, a wonderful book that he writes as Jesus calls him the sinner, the tax collector, and says, come be my disciple. And now years later, about I think it's 50 or 60 years, he's reflecting back on his stories of, of walking closely with Jesus. And so this is one of the Gospels. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, simply mean good news. That's what they mean. Okay, so Matthew, and we're going in chapter 1, and it starts off with the genealogy of Jesus, and we spoke about some of that last year. Really powerful when you actually read it. But we're going to go to verse 20, and it tells the story of a man called Joseph who's engaged, but he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant, and he knows that it's not his child. Right? Quite a dramatic start to the book of Matthew. Can you imagine being poor Joseph, and so he decides that he's going to break off the engagement, as many of us would in those circumstances, maybe even all of us. But verse 20, as he considers this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, 
Son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's quite a, quite a thing, quite a thought for Joseph. An angel appears. Your fiancé is pregnant. It's me, Joseph. It's God who's done this. It's the Holy Spirit who's impregnated your fiancé. Just, I want to just help us get this in our modern... We read it sometimes. We read the Bible so often we just blase. This is profound. Joseph is now speaking to with his angel. And the angel says, The child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now he begins to quote the... The angel quotes Isaiah, which is about 700 years prior to this. And he says, this is to fulfill this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we see these two names of Jesus. And I want to speak first about the sent man. Jesus the sent man. And these two names, for me, beautifully sum up why Jesus was sent. Jesus literally means, it says it here in the text, but it literally means God saves. In this, the angel says to him, you will have a son, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's literally the meaning of the name. And then he says, and Isaiah says, call him Emmanuel, which means God is with man. God is with us. And that's a profound thing, that God is with us. And when we hear something so profound, you've got to ask, surely, why? Why did God send Jesus, God himself, to be with men and women? Why did God do that? So what's the motive? Let's, ask, let's play some Cluedo. What's the, what's the motive for Jesus coming to earth. Who knows John 3.16? Very well-known scripture verse. Come on, tell us. Someone shout it out. For God gave his only son. Okay, what's the motive? Why did God send Jesus? Love. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right? So just keep that in mind. So God loved the world. That's why he sends Jesus. God wants to save you from your sins Emmanuel, God is with us. Why? Because he loved us. But he doesn't just love us. He also wants to give us a message. So there's a motive is love, but God wants to give us a message. It's fascinating if you go and read in, further on in Matthew. So if you go to Matthew 3, turn there with me in your Bibles. It's actually great to do this and go through our Bibles together. Matthew 3, 16. If I've got the right reference here. Sorry, Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. Again, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, he's the cousin of Jesus. He's prophesied to be the forerunner. He's going to proclaim who the Messiah is. He comes and he says, his message was this. Here's a summary of John's message. Repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now you flip over the page to chapter 4, verse 17, and it tells you a summary of Jesus' message. What is the, can you read that, someone? From then on, Jesus began to preach, Matthew four seventeen. Repent of your sin, turn to God, the kingdom of heaven is near. Do you see the identical? Okay, so this is the message of Jesus. When you read the book of Matthew, what becomes very, very apparent 
is that if you had to sum up the whole book of Matthew, this is how you would sum it up. Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. That is what Matthew is trying to do in this book. There's no other book that has as many Old Testament references. Matthew keeps on going back again. He says, Jesus does this. Oh, look what it says in Isaiah. Jesus does this. Look what it says in this prophet. Look what it says in Hosea. Look what it says back here. And he goes back again and again and again to proclaim Jesus is the Messiah. Every miracle that Jesus does, sometimes we think he's trying to teach us about faith. I think he is trying to teach us about faith. But more than that, initially what is going on in those miracles is every miracle he does, he's proclaiming, I am the Messiah. I am Lord over your body. Watch. The blind man sees. The lame man walks. I am Lord over death. The dead are raised to life. I'm Lord over food and Drink and fish and loaves, and I multiply them. I'm Lord even over the wind, and I command it, and it stops. And over water, I walk on it, and I tell my disciple to come, and he comes. And have you ever thought, like, Peter walked on that stuff? It's, I mean, I know he went under as well, but it, we focus on that a little bit more. But he walked. Jesus is proclaiming throughout the Gospels over and over again. This is the main message. I am the Messiah. Later on, there's a group of Pharisees, and they're always trying to trick Jesus. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they come to Jesus, and they try and question him to trap him. And they say, which is the greatest of the commandments? I don't know how they thought that was going to trap him, but there was obviously some nuance that I don't understand. And Jesus says this in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and great command. Then, he says, a second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this profound thing in 2240, the entire law, all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. The way I learned it as a child was out of the NIV, and it says, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So there's not a single law that was given. There's not a single utterance by the prophets, which if you simply fulfill these two things, love God and love others as you love yourself, that you would not fulfill every single one of the Old Testament laws. Okay? So we have the sent man, Jesus, the one who comes to save our sins, Emmanuel, God with us. You with me? What's his motive? Why did God send him? Love. What's his message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. I am the Messiah, love God, love others. Can you remember that? Probably not. We're going to keep going through it as we go. But you got the, you've got the idea of it, all right? Okay, I am the Messiah, the kingdom is here, repent, love God, love others. That's, in a nutshell, the book of Matthew and the message of Jesus. All the time, with, in the back of our minds, the motive is love. Now, we're going to stand up because it's boiling hot, all right? We're going to read in small groups the chapter of Matthew 28. So turn in your Bible to Matthew 28. We're going to speak about this for the rest of our time before we close this morning. Turn with me to Matthew 28. I'd love you to read, if possible, the whole chapter in your group. Just read it together, talk about it for two minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll continue with our message this morning. But stand to your feet so that you are a little bit warmer. Right, what a beautiful passage of Scripture, right? Just stunning. 
Matthew 28, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So we've spoken about a sent man. I want to, I'm, I'm laboring this because we're going to go through this in different ways. You'll see how beautifully it parallels just now and the way that it comes around. All right. So we're speaking about Jesus, the sent man. What's his name? Jesus, which means Savior, the one who saves our sin. Emmanuel means God with us. What's, God mot- what's God's motive in sending Jesus? It's love. His motive is love. What's the message that Jesus brings? There's five things. What are they? Clive, give me one. Repent. Cohen, give me one. Believe is not there. No. Bates, you're off eldership. Give me one, Megs. The kingdom of heaven is near, which fascinatingly, Jesus then almost immediately begins to say, instead of the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is here, he begins to say, right? So that, so repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, turn to God, yes? Ryan? I am the Messiah, is key, yes, what else? Should be one more. Yes. Love God, love others. All right. So those, that's the message. The motive we've got, the message we've got. Now, let's speak about dead men, right? Dead man. So we've got the sent man, Jesus. Now, how did we end up here? When you read Matthew 28 and you start and you read it, if you just had to dip into the story here, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. What do you do at a tomb? You die there. You're dead there. You're buried there. There's a dead person in the tomb, and the dead person is Jesus. That's in the tomb. Right? I know we don't know quite exactly the moment when he raised was raised, whether it was the earthquake or whether he was already raised, but Matthew 28 gives us this picture of the tomb. And just think about the craziness of this. Jesus, the one who came to forgive our sins. Emmanuel, God with us. The one who came with this message. The one who came with love. God sent him because of love is rejected and killed as a criminal. In the early hours of that terrible, wonderful weekend, we find the message of Jesus completely, defiantly rejected. Where Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is here, the people say, no, it's not. No, it is not. This is not the kingdom we have been waiting for. We want a Jewish king who's going to lead us against the Roman oppressors. We do not accept this as your kingdom. No, that is not the message. Jesus comes and says, repent of your sin. They say, no. In fact, we're going to sin all the more. We're going to kill. We're going to murder. We're going to break this is, the, this is the religious leaders of the day, the pastors, the duomenes of the day, leading the charge in breaking the commandments of Jesus. Are we going to murder? Not only are we going to murder, God, he comes and says, love God, is one of the other main messages. Love God. Well, we murdered him. That's not very loving, is it? Love others. Well, that didn't go well, did it? How's the love of Jesus? How, and most, of, most, of, most importantly, Jesus' central claim, I am the Messiah. No. No, you're not. This is the very message of Jesus. In, in Jesus' death, 
what we see is a complete and utter rejection of the message of the kingdom is here. That Jesus is the Messiah. But praise God, it didn't end there. We read a little bit further on, and let's speak about the resurrected man. So we've got the sent man, sent to earth. We've got the dead man, and then we've got the resurrected man. Praise you, Father. The angel speaking to these two Marys, and the angel says, Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You know, those two Marys were there at the crucifixion. You can go and read about it. They were there. They knew Jesus was dead. They were there at the tomb. And the angel tells them, it's Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I was reading a beautiful commentary this week, which just spoke about how the earthquake and the tomb opening up was not for Jesus to get out. Obviously, you go and read the Gospels and you see Jesus going into closed rooms with doors that are locked. Jesus has has another form. He goes into these rooms, no problem. He didn't need God to open it so that he could go out. So why was there this earthquake so the tomb was opened up? It was so we could go in, so that the Marys could go in. The angel could say to them, come see, come see, look, look, here's where he was. It's just the cloths left. He's gone. He's gone. He isn't here anymore. And friends, what I want to remind us of this morning as we speak about mission and we speak about why the church exists is that this is the central point of Christianity. Without the resurrection, the Jews were right. The kingdom wasn't here. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He's killed. He's dead. We move on like every other person who's risen up and led a thing for a while and then off he goes and he dies and his followers are scattered. That's what the Bible says about others. Jesus, the resurrection, is absolutely critical. It is the vindication itself of the claims of Jesus. When Jesus says, I will... Let's go back a tiny bit. Go into chapter 27 and look at this. Jesus didn't do this in in a quiet corner or under a rock or ambiguously so that now you can kind of figure out whether he was actually saying that or not. Listen, in in chapter 27, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate, who was the, if you don't know the context, he's the, the Roman ruler over that area. They told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver once said when he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So in his ministry, Jesus made it crystal clear that he would rise from the dead. And it's a claim you can't kind of later on say, well, what I actually meant was, he pins his colors to the mast. And now, if that's true, if Jesus said, I'll raise, be raised from the dead, and three days later he's raised from the dead, well then what else is true? Well, everything that Jesus said, we can stand on. So when Jesus said, I came so that you can have life, we go, thank you, God. When he says, I came so that sinners could be saved, we go, that's me. I'm the sinner. Thank you, God. If he came and said, death has conquered, and you don't have to mourn as if we have no hope, then when we bury, when we bury Sarah Howard Brown Cunningham like we did a few weeks ago, or, or any one of us that might be next in that wonderful line going up to heaven, we know with an assurance, those who are left behind, that death is conquered. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because Jesus said it, it happened, so we can trust everything that he said. And you must decide what you believe about the resurrection, friends. We must decide what we believe. It is the central claim of Christianity. No one else has claimed this. 
No one else has claimed that their, their Messiah was raised back to life. Without it, you cannot be a Christ follower. If you do not believe in the resurrection, you cannot be a Christ follower. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. But what fascinates me in this story that you just read in Matthew 28 is that right while the women were rushing into town with a story to tell, so were the gods with exactly the same story. They might not have had some of the detail. They hadn't spoken to the angel, but they, they heard it. They saw it. They saw Jesus wasn't there. They, everything that they tell them is exactly what the... So there's women rushing into town with a story. There's the gods rushing into the town with a story. And then there's two groups of people waiting to hear the story. There's the disciples waiting to hear the story. And then there's the leading religious dominies of the day. Isn't it beautiful? Two stories. Two groups of people waiting to receive this message two groups of witnesses witnesses literally means we saw it clive had an accident i saw it i was there i'll go to the cop station and tell them what happened witnesses saying this is what happened one group believes and isn't it wonderful that even as they believe it says but some doubted i just love that the bible speaks so like honestly into our lives some doubted even then one group still refuses and they double down on their sin and they bribe the gods and it says the story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today and today they still tell the story so we have a sent man we have a dead man we have a resurrected man and I want to finish off by speaking about sent men sent men and women we're asking this question in case you've forgotten, because there's a lot of moving parts this morning. What on earth are we here for? One hope? Christian, if you don't know Christ, what on earth are we here for? What does this all have to do with you and me? What does this mean for a Christ follower today? How does it help us understand why the church exists? And we're going to zero in on chapter 28, verse 18 to the end, and just make a few little points. There's two, there's two promises and four commands in this section. The first promise is this. All authority on heaven and earth, Jesus says, has been given to me. In other words, I'm authorized to send you. I love the parallel here that when the devil tempts Jesus, he says, if you worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And now we see Jesus resurrected and it says, I have authority over not just the world, but over heaven. Heaven and earth. I'm not going to spend time there. And then Jesus says this command. Therefore, because I've been given all this authority in heaven and earth, go. Go. One hope. Our call, our mission of every church is go. Sent man. Jesus the sent man. The first missionary. Jesus is the one who leaves a place of comfort to come to a place of discomfort. Who sacrifices so that others would know the love of God. Who's persecuted so that others would know the love of God. Who's killed so that others would know the love of God. Go. The sent one who understands what it is to be sent turns to us 
Because he was sent, he died, he was resurrected and said, Now I have authority and I'm telling you, you go. You go. Just as I was sent, so I am. So let me ask you a question. What was God's motive in sending Jesus? Love. Now we're going to start closing the loops. We're going to start closing the circle this morning. So what is God's motive in sending you? the same. It's love. God sent Jesus because of love. Jesus sends you because of love. Okay, we're going to keep, we're going to keep closing these as we, as we go. That's the first command. What's the second command? So the first command is go. What do we do when we go? Make disciples of all nations. What are disciples? People who acknowledge Jesus. He is Lord. He's Messiah, who believe the message of Jesus and who go out and increasingly learn how to live the message of Jesus. There's one really key thing I just want to pull out over there. This was revolutionary to a Jewish hearer. All nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Up to then, it's quite shocking when you read, I read the book of Matthew this week, just I wanted to read the whole book, so I had like a sense for this preach. And it's quite shocking when you read Jesus sending out his disciples And he says, don't go to the Gentiles at all. You only go to the Jews. You only go to this one people, this one group. They are the first ones. And later on, when a woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal their child, she says, but you're a Gentile. And then she says, but Lord, even the dogs deserve to eat crumbs from the table. And Jesus says, yes, your faith is wonderful. Your daughter's healed. And so suddenly Jesus now just goes, bang wide open, which is the promise all the way back to Abraham. Through you, every nation in heaven and earth will, every nation on earth will be blessed. Right? Okay, stay with me. Command three, command two, sorry, make disciples of all nations. Command three, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is baptism a sign of? First, death. Second, Ah, you see where I'm going with this? Sent man, dead man, resurrected man. We've been studying Ephesians. If you're just joining us, we've been doing last year, we did a a series through a part of Ephesians, and we're going to carry on somewhere later in this year. We'll carry on with Ephesians. I can't pass up an opportunity to read this, because this is now, it could be written, listen to Ephesians 2. Once you were dead, Because of your disobedience and your many sins. Me. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Then you go to Ephesians, that's Ephesians 2 verse 1. You go to Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, there's the motive again, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. Dead man, alive man, living. And then you go to that same chapter, a little few further verses later, excuse my words this morning, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us brand new. In Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us to do long ago. Sent man, dead man, raised man, resurrected man, and sent the good works that He has prepared. Are you following me? 
Is this making sense? Starting to come together. And then command four, he says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. What was the message that Jesus came to bring? Jesus, I am the Savior. I want to forgive your sins. Emmanuel, I'm with you. I understand. I love Hebrews where it speaks about we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because like us, he was tried and tempted in every way. When I'm going through temptation, every time I go back to that text in Hebrews and I say, thank you, that you get it, that you understand because you walked here, you know what it's like, God. Thank you. Emmanuel is the most precious thing. What's his message? What are we supposed to teach these new disciples to obey? The kingdom is here. Repent. Love God. Love others. He is the Messiah. It's the same thing over and over again. We are the sent men and women. Our purpose and our lives are based on the perfect model of Jesus. I think this is profound. I'm not saying what I'm saying is profound. I'm saying the scriptures. I am self-confident, but the scriptures are profound. And I must warn us that this is not somehow in our strength. Immediately when I was preparing, I thought of Romans 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. So, let me close out by saying this. It's the resurrection of Jesus' life that gives you and I our strength. If Jesus had died and was not risen, no resurrection, no victory, no glorious triumph of God over evil, no story of death to life. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, the disciples may as well have just dispersed. So in other words, the resurrection and the life of Jesus are deeply linked to mission. It's because Jesus was not defeated that we are still on mission. I didn't say that very well, but hopefully that makes sense. And then there's one final promise. And this actually just completely closes the loop this morning on where Matthew 1 starts. And Jesus says, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the day days or the end of the age and so we end we start with the promise what was the starting promise Emmanuel God with us when you read the book of Matthew you see towards the end the disciples start to panic when Jesus says I'm going away Lord don't don't leave us and then he says don't worry I'm not going to leave you I'm not going to leave you as children without I can't remember the language but he says I'm going to send I'm going to send one he's talking about the Holy Spirit and now at the end of his commissioning in Matthew 28 he says this beautiful thing. I am with you always, even till the end of days. Isn't that precious? God with us, and then Jesus says, I'm with you always. Are you ready for the the reveal? Our mission statement? Are you there? Anyone excited? Doesn't sound like it. Anyone excited? Karen, won't you pass those wonderful green bowls around? And you can, you can take one of these. We couldn't, I don't know why they said we couldn't fit it on, because it looks like there's lots of space on my bangle, but we couldn't fit the whole thing on, so we had to do an abbreviated 
an abbreviated form. Here it is. Can you put up the slide for us, Dev? Being filled and filling Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Christ. That's our mission. Being filled, we wrestled over this and we wanted to say before we do anything, we are recipients. We are filled. It's exactly what we're speaking about this morning. We need to ingest the message of Jesus. We are filled. We are empowered. We have the Spirit living with us. And then we fill Stellenbosch. Go, make disciples, baptize them. Fill Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Jesus. Student, here's my command, my commission to you. Be filled. Fill your tank. Spend time with Jesus. Devote your heart to Jesus. And then go. Go. We are the sent ones. Proclaim the motive and the message of Jesus. I can't go on campus. All us old bullets here, we can't go on campus. It's your ground. It's where you've got to take the message. Proclaim this powerful message of Jesus. And it brings hope and it brings life. Businesswoman, businessman, Ryan, Mike, Clive, men in our midst, women in our midst who are leading businesses. We can't go into those spaces. God has put a message in you. Be filled. Go. Die to self. Die to worldly pursuits and the lies of how you're supposed to pursue this and pursue that. Fill the business meeting with the hope and the life of Jesus. Might you get persecuted? Yes. Might you lose the contract? Yes. We commanded to go. The resurrection power of Jesus. The hope and life of Christ. Husband, parent, stay at home. Mom, carry these messages into your home. Teach our children. Show each other the hope and the life of Jesus. Young adult, working your job. What's your real job when you walk into Techno Park? You walk into your meeting. You walk into your, you're working for somebody. What's your real job? Being filled. And filling Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Christ. Do you like it? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, back to the drawing board. New bangles next week. I've asked Ollie if he won't come and pray for us as we finish. Just we're going to take communion in a minute. Thank you for having a bit of grace as I just had to lay a platform for what we're going to be talking about. Come, bro, there's a mic over there you can grab. I've just asked Ollie to pray a commissioning prayer over us. Each week we want to be praying that God would not just let us understand these things, but that we would actually begin to walk in them. So won't you stand with us? And Ollie's going to pray whatever phase of life you're in. Going to pray a commissioning that God would give us the grace to do this. See you guys next week. God bless you. Thanks, Paul. Well done. Yeah, please uh, stand. Let's, uh, in, an, in a, an attitude of recipients and of uh, openness to God and to what He wants to do in this moment. Can I just invite you, if you feel comfortable, to lift your hands uh, as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You that You broke into this world. You invaded this world of darkness with Your light, Lord. And that story is still going on. It is still going on here. It is still going on now. And Father, You've set Your sights upon this community, community, upon us, to bring Your life and Your hope to this community of Stellenbosch, Father. I thank You for every stay-at-home mom. I thank You for every businessman and woman. I thank You for every student, every scholar, every person who's looking for work. You may feel like you're doing a mundane, menial job that, that doesn't have any great significance. But Father, I thank You this morning that as You come and You break into our stories, Lord, You bring significance and You bring an eternal purpose to what we do, Father. 
Father, I thank you that you transform our vision, Lord. And we just pray at the beginning of this year, God, for transformed vision and transformed hearts of every single person here and every single one in this community, Lord. That we would truly be a people that brings the hope and the life of Christ into a community and a city that desperately needs hope and life, God. You are the one who breathes life into us, Father. We cannot do this ourselves, Lord. We lay down our plans and our agendas and our own efforts, Lord God, and we we open ourselves to you this morning, Father. Would you come? Would you breathe, Holy Spirit? Would you come and do in us what we cannot do in ourselves? And would you come and do through us what would bring you glory and delight, Father, in the name of Jesus? Amen. Thank you.